0: Good afternoon, everybody. I have some wonderful news for you. We got to the last chapter of Acts. (laughs) (coughs) Yes, Acts 28 is what we will be reading. This week we will uh, cover the first ten verses, and next week Scott will do the the last part. So... um, Next week we'll de- decorate the church that we finally got through Acts and all that. <laughs> Just this this week, the first 10 verses. So if you have your Bible with you or your cell phone, you can read with me or else you can read it from the screen. I hope you remember from last time that we um, were in Acts that um, Paul and the company that was on the ship, they suffered shipwreck after being blown to and fro by the wind for two weeks and finally they, they found land. Uh, Here we'll read what happens next. Acts 28 28 verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off and shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people ex- expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, They changed their mind and said, he was a god. Now, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official on the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. Now, when this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. So we'll read till so far for now. As I said, we came to the last chapter of Acts. We um, covered 27 chapters so far, and we got to chapter 28. And after that, the book ends, right? Well, not really. Because there is a 29th chapter also. You might wonder, what's that? That's you. You are Acts chapter 29. Because when you think of what, what Acts is about, it's about the spread of the gospel worldwide. From the moment that Jesus went up to heaven to his father and entrusted his disciples to spread the gospel into this world for which he gave them the Holy Spirit. And he said, you will be my witnesses in um, Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. Up to where? To the ends of the world. Well, you know what? That process is still going on. And you are part of that story. God wants to use you as well to further the kingdom of Jesus Christ into this world whether it would be here in Debrecen, Hungary, whether it would be in the country that you come from, or any other country, you are act 29. So don't forget that. Now, um, as you might have expected, I have brought my usual tool also. And um, I remember last time uh, Andrew and Benjamin doing a great job holding up the, 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 the map. Would you be so kind to help me out this time as well? I mean, I can't imagine how you can preach or teach without a map. (laughs) Right? Andrew, can you hold um, this side? If you take that side, let's roll it out, please. And if you move over a little to that side. So, here we have the map. And uh, you can see different... Uh, colored lines on it Now these are the um, the mission trips of Paul But for today We will just um, focus on the Orange one So it started off a few chapters ago From Jerusalem And after some stops They went by Crete And that's where the big trouble began Like um, they Paul said we'd better stay here for the winter But the other said no 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 We can, we can definitely make it up to, to Rome before winter falls So they tried to cross, and Luke, who wrote this, uh, these chapters, he considers this part also to be part of the Adriatic, Tanger, uh, Adriatic Sea. So they wandered around this part for around two weeks without ever seeing sun or stars, not knowing where they were. Sorry. And finally, as we read in this chapter, they came up to a small island called Malta. Right here. Under Sicily, and from next week on, we will read how they continued to go up to Rome. So here's Malta, just to get an idea what we're talking about today. Small island. I don't know. Has anyone ever been on on Malta? Did anyone ever hear about Malta before this? Okay, okay. So we we know the name. Okay, thank you. Okay, guys, you can you can put down the map if you want. Thank you for your help. Now. About Malta, if it it weren't in the Bible, I would never have heard of this island. In fact, the island of Malta became famous because of the fact that Paul had been there. Can you imagine? Nowadays, there is a, a bay, there is a cathedral, there are all kinds of places, all named after Saint Paul on the island of Malta. Year after year, Numbers of tourists just visit the island of Malta to visit that. Why? Because Paul had been there. Can you imagine? So what we just read here made the island of Malta famous worldwide. Um, there are special people living on that island. When you, um, when you look in the second verse, it says, The islanders showed us unusual Kindness. Now, you need to know, in the uh, original text, it doesn't say just inhabitants of the island, islanders. It says barbaroi, barbarians. Now, I don't know what idea you have when you read the word barbarians, but the fact that they showed unusual kindness makes it even even more interesting. These barbarians showed kindness. Like it says, uh, philanthropia. Like... A philanthrope, a person who's, who is, um, well, he sacrifices many things because because of love for other people. Barbarians showing philanthropia. That's extraordinary. Apparently, the fact that Luke mentions this specifically, it means that people who were shipwrecked sometimes might also experience different kind of things, like. Being robbed of the last things they they had, or even worse, being enslaved by the people who who found them, so the fact that those people showed uh, kindness to them was special, extraordinary. When I read this, I was like, "Man, hadn't those people suffered enough already? I mean, being tossed around on the sea for two weeks without any food, uh, seeing no no sun, no stars, finally." finding land, being shipwrecked and then they get ashore and it starts raining and it's cold so a fire is being put up and Paul is wi- willing to help to uh, to gather some firewood and when you read the story it reads reads like a uh, an adventure story like a snake comes up and sticks to his hand it, it doesn't say specifically that the snake bit him but for the barbarians the islanders it's enough to believe that um, justice has come for this man. He may have escaped the sea in the shipwreck that he suffered, but finally he gets what he deserves. Uh, it says, by the way, um, the goddess Justice in Greek—that's the Dike, uh, like the the the, the righteousness. This this is an interesting kind of faith. You get what you deserve. Who who of you would would agree with this? That eventually you get what you deserve. Uh, there are a f- few people who raised their hands. Uh, you might you might find some some truth in it actually, but the way those people are thinking, it's rather a uh, A pagan kind of thinking and um, I believe that this way of thinking that you finally get what you deserve may also be the reason why people sometimes try to bargain with God okay God I do something for you and then you do something for me okay God I'm willing to do some uh, religious stuff in order to uh, to ease the pain a little or uh, perhaps even compensate for, for some bad stuff that I might have done in life. Because if I eventually get what I deserve, ooh, then I better might try to make up for some things I did wrong, right? And this attitude like you get what you deserve can also become very merciless towards other people. when um, When bad luck hits the other person's life, you might think, well, he probably deserves it. No room for pity. No room for compassion. You deserve it. Now, what about the gospel? Does the gospel bring us this message of you get what you deserve? In fact, when you, when you look at the core of the gospel, what, like what we just celebrated last week, Jesus Christ sacrificing his life at the cross, not for himself, but for others. It it actually means that because of Jesus, we don't get what we deserve. Instead, we we get what he deserved for us. So the the gospel is is explicitly the contrary to this kind of thinking. Like you, you get what you deserve. The gospel says, you don't get what you deserve. That will be too hard on you. Christ already got that for you. And that's why you are free. Now that's, that's good news. That's the gospel. We don't get what we deserve, but we receive what Jesus deserved for us. And I think it's, it's really crucial to understand this this heart of God that God is not a God who wants to punish people for the things they've done wrong, but his heart is to to save to rescue to love in um, the book of the prophets, especially uh, Jeremiah and uh, Ezekiel, there are great verses that in a in a splendid way, express this heart of God. And one of these verses I would like to to read out for you. It's in um, uh, Ezekiel 33, and it's um, the 11th verse. And in fact, this may be a verse that you uh, you could uh, learn by heart. It says, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, is what what the Lord says. He takes no delight in the fact when people perish, when people get what they deserve. That's not what God wants. Rather, he would have people to, to turn around to find life in him and in his grace, in his son, Jesus Christ. So, as I said, (laughs) you might seem to find some truth in the idea like you get what you deserve, but eventually the gospel explicitly wants wants to save us from that. So in this instance, um, these islanders see Paul there with a snake hanging on his hand, and they think, oh, now, now, now he's done. He's finished. His life's over. But Paul just shakes off the viper, throws it in the fire, and nothing happens. He doesn't drop dead. And all of a sudden, their opinion changed. Whoa, this man, he must be a god. Now, this happened before already in the book of Acts. In uh, uh, chapter 14, there were also people who thought that uh, Paul and Barnabas were, were gods. And at the, at the point that they, they wanted to worship them, Paul said, no, 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 don't, don't do that. We, we're no gods. You should worship the one and only God alone. So here it doesn't say that uh, Paul also stopped him from worshiping him. But we can be sure that Paul has the same attitude here as what we read in, uh, in chapter 14. So he, um, he's a person who always grabs the opportunity to share the gospel wherever he can. Also, in this case, when um, he finds out that the governor of the island has um, a father who is sick. By the way, this governor, we read, he, um, he receives those people who suffered shipwreck in his house for, for how long? What, what did we read? Three days. Now, wait a minute. Anyone remembers how many people were on this ship that got shri- shipwrecked on Malta? How many? hundred and? Ah, no, way more. Anyone? Okay, let me help you out. 276. Just try to think of this. Hosting 276 people for three days. Now, Amanda likes preparing food for people, but hosting a crowd like that for three days Who who would be willing to do that? This is a huge job. And yet, this governor, he did it. Probably he had some servants also to help him with it. But still, what kindness, what hospitality did he show with this? Hosting a group of almost 300 for three days. Wow, that's amazing. Now, in the next part, we will read that... um, the group stayed on this island for uh, for almost three months. They waited until winter was over before they could travel travel on. Um, I can imagine that Publius would not host them for <laughs> the entire period at his house. That would be would be too much. But still, what a kind man is this to show this this kind of kindness to people who just got shipwrecked! Incredible. After all, they did need to travel on, of course. I mean, there were several prisoners among these these people that um, needed to be put to trial, so they had to travel on. But before this happens, um, Paul finds out that the father of this governor, of Publius, is ill. So he goes over to see him. By the way, that's already an interesting thing. If um, you could also be like, okay, you hear that someone's ill. okay, I take that for notion and, and that's it. Paul hears it, he goes over to see this man and to pray for him. He lays his hand on him, and the man gets healed. Now, most of us are used to reading the Bible, so we read of miracles all the time, people getting healed from this, from that, even people being being raised from the dead. So we may not be that much astonished when we read about a miracle, but just try to to imagine this situation. Those people were not accustomed to miraculous things happening. When you got sick, well, you better count it on the end of your life. I mean, illness was in most times uh, finishing people off. They, they didn't recover from, from illnesses because, well, medical care and medical knowledge was uh, so little still, they, they didn't know how to treat many things. Paul comes in, prays with this man, lays his hand on him, and the man gets healed. Can you imagine that the news of this healing spreads like wildfire across the entire island and it says all the sick people were brought in and they were cured. Just look at at verse 9. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. No exception. This must have been an amazing event for the entire island. A special encounter with with the grace and the power of the living God, who has authority over everything, over sea, over wind, even over sickness. As I said, we know that uh, Paul is the kind of guy that always took the opportunity to, um, to preach the gospel wherever he could. So I can imagine, it doesn't say explicitly, but I can imagine that even at this point, Paul also took the opportunity to tell the people that it was not him, who healed those people, but it was the power of God through his Holy Spirit that those people were healed and that for anyone who wanted to receive this power of God, Jesus Christ in his or her life, there was the opportunity. We, we, we don't read explicitly about it that some church uh, was planted on the island or even that people got to faith, but I, I can hardly imagine otherwise. God's grace And God's power had to be shown there on that island of Malta. And I, I can't help but thinking, would this perhaps have been the reason why this entire company of 276 people had to suffer those bad things like being tossed over by the sea for 14 days without seeing any light, suffering shipwreck, facing death in the eye, for this reason, that on the island of Malta, there were people that needed to be healed by God and there were people that needed to be saved. Was this the reason why, why this company had to suffer so much? And why the entire ship and all the cargo had to be lost? Because God had a purpose with that. You know, the thing is, God many times counts differently than we do. But when it's about time, when it's about money, when it's about efforts, when it's about resources, they they get a totally different value when we look at them from the perspective of eternity. In, um, in the Gospel of John, um, it says in chapter 4, that uh, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, he was in uh, Judea, the southern part of the, of, of the country. He needed to go to Galilee, the northern part. And what Jews mostly did is they made a big bow in order to avoid Samaria. A decent Jew would not pass the, the land of Samaria. Jesus, however, he went straight up. Because, why? Because he had to meet that single woman at the well. He had to because God had a plan with it. In this case Paul had to get to Malta because God had a plan with it. And yes it did take a lot of effort. Incredible effort not only from, from Paul but from, uh, from from the entire company that was on the ship. It did require from them that they would face incredible hardship and, and see that death in the face God had a plan with that God had a purpose so when I was working on this last week the question came up to me um, what, wh- what may it cost you perhaps you um, you don't feel very comfortable with hosting 276 people for 3 days you can imagine that I can also imagine that suffering shipwreck would not be the first thing that comes into your you mind. Oh, let's do that. But on the other hand, you can show hospitality to, to anyone in your surrounding. Or if you have a certain plan for your life or you want to go somewhere, it might be that you suddenly your itinerary is being changed because God wants to lead you in, in some other direction. Um, by the way, I had a very practical experience with that um, last week. Um, every week I travel to uh, to Hodvon in Hungary. So from Debrecen to Hotvan, you travel through Solnok. There you need to get to another train to go up to to Hodvon. Um It's it's rather tricky to travel by train in Hungary. I mean, I don't want to give some um, anti-advertisement for the Hungarian railways, but all I say is that it can be tricky. So. Um, many times, I nearly missed the connecting train uh, in Hotvan because, well, they don't always go exactly on time and things like that. This week, I, I just made it. I, the, the train came in at the railway tra- station at Solnok, so I jumped out, I went under the railways to the other, um, to the other, other uh, train, and I saw on the sign Hotvan. so I, I jumped in and I was waiting for the train to leave. The train stood there for 10 minutes, and it didn't leave. So I went to one of the workers and I asked, "Um, is this train not leaving to Hadvan? No, this train will only leave in in four hours. So I said, where is the train to Hadvan then? Well, that train just left three minutes ago from the other, other, uh, other station. And I said, no. And it turned out that at that time the train only went once in two hours, so I had to wait for two hours for the next train, and I got so angry because it was not the first time that it happened to me. And not just angry with the ra- railway company, I, I even got angry with God. God, why is this happening to me? Why is my plan completely being ruined again and my, my day is lost? Oh God, if, if you want me something to do here in, in Solnok, I will not do it. I don't want it. If you want me to meet someone, I will not meet that person. I got so angry until I got to the point that I asked myself, who, who owns my life? Is my life mine? Is my time mine? Is my money mine? Are my resources mine? What, what may it cost us? I'll get back to that question later on. First let's see how it um, continues with Paul and his his fellows. Um, They stayed on the island for three months and after the winter they had to move on to get uh, to Rome. So we'll hear about that more next week. Um, Rome was the final destination for those prisoners, especially for Paul. Uh, He knew that at Rome he was going to be put on trial uh, before Caesar. He was going to be brought into the lion's den. In one of his letters to Timothy, he writes about it uh, like that, being put into the the lion's den. But yet, Paul kept up the spirit. He looked for opportunities. He saw every experience that he had, even like a a shipwreck or even a snake dangling from his, his arm, he saw it as an opportunity to share the gospel. He was willing to face any hardship and trial just for the gospel. Now, perhaps you might say, well, you know, I'm not Paul. I'm not an apostle. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not even a pastor. So what does it have to say to me? Well, let me tell you this. In the kingdom of God, there are no ranks. Many times we uh, divide the believers in, uh, in two classes. Here's the clergy, and there are the laymen. Now, the clergy, those are the professionals, and the laymen, well, they just sit and listen and wait. Well, this is not how God invented it. You know what God says in the Bible? In First Peter, 2nd chapter, you are a kingdom of priests called to tell about the great deeds of God. And he doesn't say that to some special people. He says it to all believers. That's what you are. A divine priesthood with a calling from God. So yes, this story does have a message for for each and every one of us. The main question is, who owns your life, your time, your energy, and your resources? Like I said, the island of Malta eventually became became popular and famous because of the visit of Paul there. What would it be if, um, like, let's say three centuries from now, the city of Debertson would become famous because of the fact that that's the city where John or Afe or Rehulina or... Daniel or whoever studied, you know, that one who had such a great impact on the kingdom of God later on. If people remember Deberson for that fact, that you were here. Just like they remember Malta for the fact that Paul had been there. God's kingdom being advanced by ordinary people like you and me in Kenya, Nigeria, Indonesia, Brazil in the kingdom of god it's not about titles or ranks or possessions you know all, all these things they will they will disappear they belong to this world everything that's in this world will be gone when jesus christ returns the only thing that remains is his kingdom so my advice to you and also to myself would be be wise and invest in those things that are worthwhile, those things that that are remaining. Don't invest all your time and energy and money in things that, that will pass away anyway. Jesus Christ, his kingdom, his gospel, that's the thing that's worth to invest in. So, live your life in this world like a stranger, like a bypasser, we, we just sang it in our song. It, it may be that that people will laugh at you, will say that you're crazy because you live a life like that. Living a life <laughs> like a refugee. Who owns your life? We, um, we sang great songs at the beginning of the service and we will sing some more great songs uh, later on. And Sometimes it, it, it can be so easy to sing, Oh, Jesus, I surrender. I give it all. Jesus, my life is yours. Ask yourself the question this afternoon. Is this true? Is this what I want? Is this what I truly want to say to Jesus with, with an honest heart? Would, would God be allowed to rearrange your schedules when you have your life planned out, your studies, your career, um, trip, uh, whatever, would God be allowed to rearrange that? Because he, he has other plans. He has bigger plans. Would you, would you trust him that he truly knows best? And believe me, uh, I'm not a professional at this. Like I just told you with my experience in Solnok, I'm still learning in this. But one thing I do know. It may seem like like a sacrifice, like giving up all things. But meanwhile, what you get back, there's no greater joy and no greater fulfillment than that. To know that your life contributes to the most important thing that you can imagine in this world, the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Surrender to him. Let him own your life. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this story that we read in the Bible. I must honestly say I can hardly imagine what it means to suffer a shipwreck after having been tossed to and fro on the sea for 14 days and then arriving on an island like that, as Paul and Luke um, experienced in this chapter. But, Father, I do read that Jesus Christ was Lord overall, even in that situation. And that's, Lord Jesus, why we bow down before you here, right now, this afternoon, and confess that you are God, that you are in control, and that you are worthy of all honor and glory. And we confess, Lord Jesus, that your kingdom is the only thing that will last in this world. So that's what we want to reach out to, that kingdom of yours. That's what we want to submit to. And that's what we want to serve, Lord Jesus, your kingdom, your gospel. You know each and every one of us personally, you have equipped us with gifts and talents and talents. Now, here we are, Lord Jesus. Take us and use us, each and every one of us, to serve that gospel of yours. This news that God loves people is the most important thing that people in this world need to hear. So use us, Lord, for your glory, for your kingdom, for your gospel. and Help us to surrender with a whole heart, to give all our time, all our energy, all our resources, and even our plans and our schedules, even if it means that you throw them over and put a, a new, better schedule uh, in place. Lord Jesus, you are God, and we worship you. And Thank you that you allow us to meet you here personally this afternoon, that you encourage us to look up to you and to see your glory and the glory of your kingdom. We need you, Lord Jesus. We desperately need you every single moment. And we just want to tell you that we love you. Amen.